Well, I hope you can tell we're celebrating today. What a glorious day to be in God's house, to worship Him. Can you imagine what life would be like had He not been raised from the dead 2,015 years ago? Where would we be? What would life have to offer? What would death have to offer? It's a frightening thought. But because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, in the tomb, on Sunday morning, we are here as people who have hope in this world and in the world to come. I'm starting a sermon series. I thought Easter Sunday would be a good Sunday to do that on the commands of Christ. Yeah, Jesus told us several times, he who has my commands and does them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. And then the Great Commission, he said, go teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So what did Jesus command us? It's a good question, isn't it? And the next several Sundays, we'll be taking one command at a time and trying to apply them to our lives. One of those commandments was, do this in remembrance of me. And so we're celebrating Easter with the ordinance of the Lord's Supper today. The sermon is entitled, It's Time to Celebrate. The Lord's Supper is a celebration feast. And the passage is that of the resurrection in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 20. It's a familiar passage, but we do well to remember it this morning. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter then came out with the other disciple, and they went toward the tomb. They both ran, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying and the napkin which had been on his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Saying this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not hold me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and said to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. And on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being shut where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. But when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad 
when they saw the Lord. I imagine that's one of the greatest understatements in Scripture. The disciples were glad. I bet they were astounded. They were beside themselves. And they fell on their faces at the feet of the risen Lord. Bow with me. Father, as we gather to worship you this day, how grateful we are that God in his love and mercy sent you to be born, to live a sinless life, to die an atoning death on the cross, and to be raised victoriously from the grave. Without you, O Lord, we would be hopeless. But with you, we can have life and have it abundantly. And we can have eternal life to come. We worship you and we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning as dawn is breaking over the rim of the earth, I can just imagine in my mind's eye seeing millions of people rise to celebrate the greatest event that ever occurred in human history. So great, in fact, that it forever divided time in half from B.C. and A.D. B.C. before Christ, A.D. Anno Domini in the year of our Lord. So even people who don't believe in Jesus are still forced to date their lives and their days from the year of our Lord Jesus Christ, 2015. Today is V-Day, Victory Day, because Jesus is alive. This is celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest victory in the history of the world. And I don't care what victory you want to talk about, if it's Alexander the Great or Caesar or Napoleon or MacArthur or Patton or any of those great generals. They all fade into background in contrast to Jesus' victory over death. As a matter of fact, Jesus' victory over death, this resurrection is the one holiday we not only celebrate once a year, but we also celebrate it every week, if you stop and think about it. We celebrate it every Sunday. Because had Jesus not been raised from the dead, we would not be meeting on Sunday. We would not be meeting at all, any day. We are here to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. It's being celebrated this morning from New York's Fifth Avenue to the thatched huts of Africa, from the frozen tundra of Greenland to the South Sea Islands, from the Baroque Gothic cathedrals of Europe to the plain Quaker meeting houses in the Midwest. Today we're gathering in 500,000 churches to worship Christ risen from the dead in over 2,000 different languages. And all of us together are declaring He is alive. He is risen indeed. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, there's some things I want to talk about the resurrection looking at its impact on the past, on the present, and on the future. In the past, it is a fact of history. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is a fact of history, and whereas no one can technically prove the resurrection, that's by design because Jesus wanted us to believe by faith. He said without faith it's impossible to please God. And so there'll always be a small element of faith required in order to believe in Jesus and believe the resurrection occurred. But let me tell you, there is a lot of objective evidence in history to verify Jesus' life and death and resurrection. 
Most of the arguments against Jesus have been offered against the truth of the resurrection. So let's look at them briefly. Just a few things that people have posited to argue against the resurrection of Jesus. And I guess the most popular one is that someone suggested that they just stole Jesus' body. Someone stole his body from that tomb and that he wasn't really raised from the dead. But the question then is, by whom? Who stole his body? His enemies? The, the religious authorities? If they stole his body, then when the disciples went, began to go out and preach that Jesus had been raised from the dead, why didn't they just produce it? Why didn't they just bring out his body and stop Christianity in its tracks? Not as enemies or authorities. What about the Roman soldiers? Maybe they could have stolen the body. Well, it was their job to guard the body. As a matter of fact, Pontius Pilate put a guard on the tomb because the Jewish leaders were afraid that someone would try to steal it. So it was actually their job upon fear of death to protect the tomb, to guard it, to see that nothing happened to it. And they did their job to the best of their ability. Well, what about his disciples? Maybe they could have stolen his body and then gone out and preached Jesus raised from the dead. Well, if that's true, then why did they go out and preach a resurrection they all knew full well was a hoax? And why did they go on to give their lives and 10 of the 11 actually die for what they knew to be a lie? They would have never done that. The only rational explanation for the fact that no one produced Jesus' dead body was because there was no dead body to be produced. He was risen and his dead, lifeless body had been resurrected and raised from the dead. So if somebody stole his body, you tell me who could have done it and why and how. Some say Jesus wasn't really dead when they took him down from the cross and put him in the tomb, that he just had passed out, that he had swooned on the cross. When they placed him in the tomb with its dampness and coolness, three days later he sort of resuscitated and came around and revived and, and went out to his disciples and told them that he had been raised from the dead. But even this theory has problems because there was a heavy stone over the tomb to be rolled away that took several men to roll it in its place. And you're telling me that someone who had been scourged with a cat of nine tails 39 times and hung on a cross for six hours and Roman soldiers who were trained and experts in killing and trained in death came around to those on the cross and said it wasn't necessary to break Jesus' legs as they did the other two thieves on the cross so they could no longer breathe and be sure they were dead. And, and as a matter of fact, they took a spear and thrust it in his side just to prove that he was really dead and blood and water came pouring out. He was dead when he came down from the cross and was placed in the tomb. Others have suggested that it was a tear-blinded Mary who simply went to the wrong tomb. That She had seen him buried a couple evenings ago and it was dusk and it was hard to see and that Easter morning it, the sun hadn't come up fully and she, she just went to the wrong tomb and she really did see a gardener. But if that's the case, then everybody else went to the wrong tomb as well. And then how do you explain his resurrection appearance? He was not a phantom. He was not an hallucination. 
He was seen by 500 at one time, it tells us. He ate with them. They heard his familiar voice. He was dead and raised from the dead. And the irony of it all is that his disciples who had been with him the longest were not even expecting a resurrection. They were hiding out in darkness, fearing the religious authorities. If they had been expecting a resurrection, they would have, don't you think they would have gathered around the empty tomb on that third morning and anticipating something exciting happening? Instead, rather than their going, they sent women with spices to anoint a dead body while they hid out and eventually returned to their fishing. The women came and reported the resurrection. They didn't believe them. Even they had to be convinced by his appearance and by his wounds. Finally, you have the existence of the Christian church today. How else do you explain this miracle? And the fact that our day of worship is on Sunday, no longer on the Jewish Sabbath of Friday night and Saturday. And how do you explain the fact that lives have been touched and changed? Someone who was headed in one direction and Jesus saved them and came into their lives and made a dramatic and drastic difference and turned them around 180 degrees. How do you explain that? From frightened men like the disciples hiding behind locked doors in darkness to men of courage and faith preaching the gospel boldly and triumphantly. As someone said, it's not so much what the disciples said, it's what they became. And what they became was a bold witness for Jesus Christ. Because the resurrection is a fact of history. But secondly, we know the resurrection of Jesus Christ because he is alive today. And, and he is carrying out his ongoing mission in the world. It says just one page over in Acts 1.1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with you I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So Jesus began to do and teach all these things. Who's supposed to continue it? You and I. Jesus began it. We are to continue it. As a matter of fact, I want you to be praying for three mission teams we have out right now. The Peru mission team, about nine people from our church, left from Jacksonville about uh, 4 o'clock yesterday, got to Atlanta at 5, departed Atlanta about six and got to Lima, Peru about midnight last night safely. Be praying for them this coming week. We had a youth mission team that departed uh, and flew to Seattle last night and got in about midnight. About 12 of them and about um, nine more are headed out to Knoxville about noon today. So we are trying to continue the ministry that Jesus began. Like the song says, you ask me how I know he lives, what? He lives within my heart, and there he is, and there he will remain until he calls us home, and we can see him face to face. It's a fact of history. It's an experience of life. Third and finally, the resurrection is hope of eternal life. We have something to look forward to, let me tell you. There's a big difference in the funeral home between the room where they have hope of eternal life and the room where they do not. It is a palpable difference. There is such 
an enormous pain for those who are suffering the loss of loved ones. And for those who do not have faith, that loss is permanent. For those who do, that loss is only temporary. Jesus' body would never face death again. He lived, he died, he rose again to new life by the power of God. And so will we. All of us who believe in Jesus and have been forgiven of our sins can have that renewed relationship with with God restored because the thing that separated us from him, our sins, have been forgiven and cleansed and wiped away. The resurrection is a fact of history, the past. It is an experience of life, the present. It is the hope of eternal life in the future. And we need that desperately in our world today. Look at our world. My goodness, and see what is going on, how desperately people need to hear the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. And he has left it up to us to share it. I am so glad, so thankful that we have such good news to share because frankly, I am tired of promises that aren't kept. There's an epitaph in Pennsylvania that's kind of funny. It says, in memory of Ellen Shannon, aged 26 years, fatally burned March 21st, 1870, by the explosion of a lamp filled with R.E. Danforth's non-explosive burning fluid. Did you hear that? Fatally burned by a lamp filled with R.E. Danforth's non-explosive burning fluid. I'm so tired of promises that aren't kept. I am tired of solutions that don't solve anything. I'm tired of remedies that don't cure. I'm tired of panaceas that don't pan out. And that's why I'm so thankful today that we have a promise that was kept. Because when God gave us Jesus, he gave us hope. And every promise that Jesus made has come to fruition, except one. He said, I'm coming again. And so we're living in that window of time between his ascension and his second coming. And it's up to us to be faithful, to proclaim his death, burial, and resurrection, and the good news that that offers our world today. I think there would be more rejoicing today if we weren't so overexposed to the world and so underexposed to the gospel. So let this eternal truth hit us hard with full impact and let it begin around this sacred table and reverberate out like expanding circles from a pebble tossed into the middle of a lake so that everyone with whom we come into contact will hear and know that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is alive and that he offers eternal life to all who believe in him. Jesus said that this table brings joy. And that's what Easter is all about. So it's time to celebrate. And let's gather around this table this morning. Bow with me. Father, as we come now to receive this precious body that was broken and this sinless blood that was shed to pay the ransom by someone who didn't have to, for those of us who could not, 
we come today rejoicing and celebrating the good news of Jesus and the resurrection that gives us a purpose and gives us hope and gives us a mission and gives us a responsibility to tell the world until the whole world knows our God reigns. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.